Hey y'all, this is Culture Soup, where tech, culture, and business collide. It's a podcast that spoons up everything hot from social media. I'm your host, L. Michelle Smith, and each episode, we bring you some of the most notable and not yet notable thought leaders in tech, business, and culture. The year was 2019. It was March to be exact. I had been invited to sit on a panel at the InnoTech Women in Tech Conference to have a conversation about intersectionality. The woman who invited me met me in January at another conference called the Power Her Conference. Her name was Aries Webb. Aries approached me after hearing me at the conference in January and said, I think that you're the one that could do this on this panel because I really want to have a candid conversation and I need somebody to keep it 100. You see, I would join two other executives on that stand, but I was the only one that was an entrepreneur. I just started my journey to becoming a professional executive and business coach. And I always said since I left the Fortune 9 that I had the benefit of having sharper weapons on the outside in this battle that we call inclusion. So I joined the panel and it was true. The two ladies that were with me were nice enough women, but they were bound by their talking points. I was able to keep it 100 It wasn't soon after that that Aries invited me to some other events. We met again at the Black MBA local chapter meeting, and she had some ideas for some other events. At that point, she told me she was planning one with someone named Minda Hartz. Her book hadn't dropped yet. It was called The Memo. And she said, I know that you're writing a book, and I've read a couple of her e-books, And I think you and Minda will get along great. She was right. Minda and I connected on social media at that point. Aries had shared a bit about me with Minda and vice versa. And we became virtual friends. Minda always banters with her followers on Twitter. And I became a part of that fangirl gang. I really liked the book. When it finally dropped, I was able to get my hands on one. I ordered it in just enough time to go on the air on a tease right before I left town and share that I was going to read the book, that I had just gotten it, and that Minda was coming to town. Aries made it a point to send me a VIP invitation to Minda's event in Dallas, but I would be getting on a plane headed to Memphis, and I'd miss Minda's event. So I took the opportunity to plug Minda's book. In the meantime, fast forward to September of 2019, Minda and I were on the same rundown at the Texas Women's Conference in Austin, Texas. The two of us were in the same convention center on the same rundown and were so busy that we missed each other. But today, it's different. Minda agreed to come on my show, 
And we did that over Twitter too. Minda saw something in Black Enterprise where Sheryl Sandberg, the author of Lean In and the COO of Facebook, made some statements about women of color being left out of Lean In and gave some insights on where she thinks women of color fit in that conversation. Minda saw that and she questioned whether or not Cheryl knew of her book. We talk about that in this discussion today and she breaks a little news without further ado. I want you to meet my friend, inclusion warrior, author of the memo and entrepreneur, Minda Hart. Finally. Likewise. No. And I, just for review, I think it was Aries and, and Kim yes. that virtually connected us. <laughs> You've been yes. doing great work, Minda. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. I appreciate your support. Hey, everybody. I'm so excited that I have my friend Minda Hearts on the line. I like to call her an inclusion warrior. And if you aren't familiar with her book, The Memo, haven't read it yet, by the end of this podcast, you'll know why I call her that. She's an author and she is also an entrepreneur. Hey, Minda. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Michelle. I'm thrilled (laughs) that you're on here with me. You know, we've been passing each other. Here and there, you know, we were both on the roster out at the Texas Women's Conference in Austin and both very busy. You were speaking, I was speaking. We probably passed each other in the airport, maybe in the sky. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Amanda, you've been busy. You've been coming and going like crazy. It's a blessing. I'm glad that people want to have these conversations that we've been ready to have for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Minda, you know what? We have a moment called the culture soup moment. You know what it's all about. How about we go on and dive in? Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So we see conversations about diversity and equity and inclusion. In fact, I joke all the time that some people think that diversity inclusion, all one word, diversity inclusion, right? They don't know the difference. It's the thing to be talking about right now. But now... Thanks to a couple different studies, Women in the Workplace back in 2017, and then also Catalyst, which actually called out women of color and specifically black women and the issues that we face in the workplace. There are more voices like your own adding to this conversation about inclusion when it comes specifically to black women. How does that make you feel? Well, you know what? Some of it is frustrating because I feel like the reports just say the same things each and every year, but we know that facts and numbers don't lie, right? So it just allows us to have some facts to our feelings, right? Right. (laughs) We need both of it. So I appreciate the statistics because now we can go forward and have it in our hands and be like, see, we've been telling you. Right. And (laughs) you know what? I appreciate it too, because there are a lot of us who have felt this way generation after generation, I mean, probably three or four generations deep in the workplace, especially corporate, some of those who broke the glass ceiling and even got inside. But because that feeling was not, um, what's the word? It wasn't reinforced. It wasn't validated or anything by anyone. 
And even when we got home to our families, they're like, buck it up, suck it up, right? <laughs> Go back in there and just put your head down and keep going. It's refreshing to so many of us to know that we've been at least seen. Absolutely. And I think we needed that. So even though the reports can be a little frustrating for things we already know, but at least it it lets us know that we weren't making these things up. So I, I think it's a good thing. Right. Good, good, good. So you've written this book and it's called The Memo. For those of you that are out there that aren't familiar, I don't know, you've been under a rock or something. Okay. <laughs> it's a bestseller and it's named after your company, right? Yes. And you want to tell us what The Memo LLC is all about? Yeah. So that's what a lot of people who are just now finding out about me, they think, oh, she has this book. But actually in 2015, I started my company, The Memo, along with my co-founder, Lauren. And we provide career curriculum for women of color to help them prepare for their seat at the table. And okay. so we've been doing that since 2015. So for all of you that wondered, this book didn't come out of anywhere. She, she <laughs> just didn't pull it out of the sky. She's <laughs> been putting some walk to her talk and now the book. So how did Minda, yes, Minda, is that the way you say it, come to the conclusion that after, you know, having experiences all your own, listening to clients and such, that you should put pen to paper? Yeah, well, it's funny because I was expecting someone else to write the book, right? Mm. I had been sitting around waiting for somebody else, <laughs> someone who I thought, you know, was more seasoned than me, more experienced than me. And so I was waiting for someone to write the book. And I just realized that, okay, like Toni Morrison said, write the book you want to read and yeah. things aligned. And I was able to do that. I wrote it in a voice in which, and if you've read the book, then, you know, it's almost like you're sitting in my living room, like we're having this dialogue and right. I wanted to kind of break the, the glass, if you will, on the traditional career books, business books, and, and use that, that, um, pop culture vernacular along with business acumen to tell a different story right okay so I wanted to go there the voice of the book is very interesting because it seems that you have very much zeroed in on your audience and how would you describe your audience you know it's funny because when I first wrote the book I wasn't really sure who the audience would mm -hmm. you know <laughs> who it would be for but again I wrote the book that I would want to read that right? would be like entertaining to me but also serious right mm -hmm. but there's some hard topics in there and so I thought it would probably be millennial-ish, right? That would probably like it or Gen X to a, to a degree for some of the references. But what I found is being on book tour that I had boomers, I yes. had Gen Z, everybody was rocking with it and they felt it in their, in their spirit. And so I was happy to see that even if you were new to your career or you are more seasoned that you saw yourself in some way, shape or form in this book. Absolutely. And you know, paragraph after paragraph, you see pop culture references to music. You, you quote Janet Jackson, Biggie Smalls, <laughs> <laughs> the great prophet P Diddy, yes. all of that. And you know what? It's pretty um, relevant too. You were able to talk about the Trump administration and, you know, Jeff Sessions and all of this. And now that it's out and we're, gosh, towards the end of the first term for 45, that's about all I can say about him. Um, <laughs> it's still relevant. You know, we're, still, we'll relevant. St we're still talking about that stuff. So, and, and then you don't, you don't pull any punches when it comes to a little bit of language too. <laughs> yes. Um, so I have to say that uh, some things that people don't know about me, you know, my father is a minister. And so it was really I I towed the line on how far I could like push right without like totally upsetting my parents. You know, <laughs> so well, I love the way you had 
dash, dash. <laughs> I love it. But we knew what you're talking about. And we get it. We get it. You know, and I think Jesus understands. He, he understands. And sometimes you have to use strong language. I think he understands too. <laughs> yes, he absolutely yeah. does. I always said, I, I worship the Jesus that flipped tables. Yes. Right, that, right. Absolutely. I, I know too. <laughs> Let's dig into the book a little bit. Uh, well, before we do, you know what? It's been couched as the lean in for women of color. And that's interesting in that, you know, of course, that came first, the Lean In book. And of course, after that, the Women in the Workplace Study, which was leanin.org. So, you know, yeah, they made some headway when it came to actually addressing women of color, at least in the data, but we missed that book. So we were, I say we missed it, meaning we were not in it. Michelle Obama even said, look, this wasn't even for us. So your book is supposed to kind of be the answer to that problem or at least fill that gap how does that make you feel because I mean we see Sheryl Sandberg God bless her she's out there doing some work you know Mm -hmm. and some good work for women um, primarily white women but you know she is at least acknowledged that we're out there and we have our our problems too Um, Mm -hmm. but recently you know she said some things that kind of sounds like she might have heard of your book or maybe and you know it's been Kind of an out of body. I follow you on Twitter. So this whole conversation cropped up where she made some statements and it's like, well, hello. How did you (laughs) feel about that? You know, I, so I'll say this, and this is an exclusive for, for the culture soup listeners is that in two weeks, I'm actually going to Facebook. And yeah, so I don't know, I'm going there to teach a workshop, but, and then the next day I'm going to have lunch at leanin.org. Now it's not been said that Miss Sandberg will be in attendance in either one of those, but they are aware of, of the book. <laughs> okay. Well, we know they have to be. <laughs> yes. Because so, the whole corporate communications team is the same corporate communications team. <laughs> and by the way, I have some friends that are having corporate communications in Facebook. If you're listening, it'd be great if Miss Sandberg swung by Minda's workshop. So you've heard it here first. <laughs> yes. So, great. You know, It would have been cool for me if she, in that last article that she wrote where she addressed, you know, black women and women of color, if she would have maybe said something about the memo Mm -hmm. or talked about, you know, resources that were catered to them. But I'm just going to say I thank her for the book that she wrote because had she not written it, I wouldn't have been inspired to write my own version of Mm -hmm. it. And so for us, I hope that the success of the memo will open up more doors so that women like you, me, and others will be able to write these stories, right? Because if you look on the Amazon list, there's tons of white women that are writing career books, and there's Absolutely. like a few of us that even make a blurb there. And so I think we need the same recognition, uh, just like the others, you know, because we're doing the work as well. Okay, now for the book. So there are a few different chapters that got my attention. One that I want to talk about for sure is the one that raises issues of names. And you know what? This may be something that's very invisible to people who are not of color, who may be of color and maybe have European names. Maybe they've never thought of it this way. I have a different take on it because I've actually had some name issues myself and I have a very plain Jane name, but my name, my middle name is Michelle. My first name is Leticia. And to make sure that I don't get confused with all the other Michelle Smiths out there, I use the L P 
period in front of my name. It's amazing how many people just want to just overlook that. And, you know, I've gotten vibes from people that are like, okay, well, she's saying El Michelle, who does she think she is, is the tone of the questioning. Like, we can't win for losing. If you're Coquisha, they got a problem with that, too. So yeah. talk about what you got in the book. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you said that because to some, they may not even see that this is an issue, but you have to realize, like, my government name is Yasminda, but I haven't been able to go by Yasminda probably since I was, you know, uh, almost two to three years old because going into grade school, going into high school, going into college, my professors would automatically, or teachers would look at it, and the Y just automatically, like, scared them away, didn't even wow. try. Uh, and so I realized at a young age to say, oh, it's Yasminda, but you can call me Minda. And that sat well. And they, you could see the relief on their face. Ah, right? Minda. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so relieved. I can do that. I can do Minda. Yeah, you know, and so you learn, I think as black women, we learn to make concessions for things. And you don't realize, at least I didn't until much later, at whose expense was I making these concessions for, right? And so when someone does call me Yasminda, I'm like, who are they? Who are they talking about? Because right. I don't. It's almost like I don't even know who that person is. But uh, one of the things that I will say, I want us to realize that if we, the next generation, if you want to use Lakeisha, Bonnie, whatever it is you want to be called. Yes. People can say Dikembe Mutumbo. Yes. They can say whatever it is they want to say. Totally. We have to condition them. And so um, as I've been going across the country, the one thing that most college students will ask me, can I use my real name when I get to corporate America? Right. And it breaks my heart that 18 and 19 year olds, 20 year olds are thinking about their name. They haven't even thinking about what the job they're going to do yeah. when they're, they're thinking about those things. So I think our colleagues really need to be aware of some of the issues that the challenges that we c come up against before we even walk in the door. Well, and don't you think that's generational? So those yeah. college kids have parents that warn them if you have too many black indicators indicators on your resume, you know, take that sorority off, you know, don't, don't, don't highlight your NAACP chapter, you know, and, oh, your name, use your middle name, not your first name. You know, all of this good stuff. Our parents went through some stuff that we can't even imagine. So, you know, generation over generation is kind of just play it down, blend in. And everything will be okay. Cross your fingers and pray to Jesus. Right. Yeah. And so now this is different. Now we have more chief diversity officers than we've ever had before. We have lots of company companies either doing diversity inclusion right or just doing it because they're checking a box. Either way, you have more people being intentional about saying we want to know what your race or your ethnicity might be so that we can make sure we're being inclusive in our workforce. But that's a double-edged sword. Well, it is. And, and I, I could probably say, at least when I entered the workforce, and I would imagine you probably experienced the same, is that we didn't have uh, blind interview processes. You know? Right. So we're not necessarily there. And so you did have to make those decisions. And, um, and even when we get in the door, I would also say that, you know, don't question why you're there. You're there. Right. Do your thing, you right. know? So. Totally. You know, um, the first university that I received a full ride scholarship to, um, by, by mail, got the letter. Congratulations. Four years covered. Woohoo! Showed up when it's time to the registrar. Brought my letter, put it there, and they said, oh, 
one moment. They went back to the back. They came back. We think there must have been a mistake. Really? What kind of mistake are we talking about? Well, we don't have a full-ride scholarship for you. Well, it says, congratulations, four years. That's my name. But apparently, I look white on paper. Mm. Yeah. I didn't go to that university, which is why I shot down the freeway to TCU and have been, you know, touting TCU ever since because they took me at the last minute. But it's a catch-22. Mm-hmm. Either you look really black on paper or you look white and you show up and you shock them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, I, back then you used to do like, you know, and you still do them now, but phone interviews. Yes. People would, my dad would always joke and say, you sound white. That's great. You know, and then you go yeah. into the, the office and they're like, oh, I didn't expect. Right. You, you, you. you. Oh. <laughs> and the signals that that sends to us just being an interviewee, right? And now we have to say, oh, well, now I have to get them to like me because they're already thinking all these other things. And I think it's a lot of mental gymnastics that some of our counterparts will never have to endure. And they need to understand what it's like for, for many of us. So you bring up a very good point. While we talked about your audience being primarily sisters, (laughs) maybe millennials, you know, but it's resonating with so many other people. Let's talk about why this is important for everybody to know about and read about. Yeah, so it's interesting because I think I was recently at a conference and I was off to the side kind of watching who picked up the books and who didn't pick up the books. And it was a primarily white women conference that I was speaking at. And I noticed that pretty much every, and I stuck around for about an hour and watched this. And my last, my case study was only three women of color picked up the memo mm-hmm. and white women just passed by it because I think our unconscious bias says that that book is not for me, right? It says yeah. women of color on it. It has a black woman on the cover. You would say that's not for me, but I say, yes, it's every much for you as it is for us, because how do you how can you be a good ally? How can you be a good colleague if you don't know what it's like for me to modify my name or you don't know what it's like for me when I, last night, you know, the Trayvon Martins were murdered and now I come into the office. Like, you need to understand what it's like when when the manager says, you people love your bright colors. Like, these are the things you need to be aware of. Yeah. And you need these books. So that right. You know Tell that about. story so everybody knows what you're talking about because you just posted this on Instagram. And I was like, what time capsule was this man flying in on? You want to tell a story? Yes. Really quick is when I first started in corporate America, I had a manager and he would say all kinds of crazy things, but it wasn't something I was ready for. No one had given me the memo that this would be the kind of stuff I'd be up against. And I came into a city, I was a consultant and I picked up him and a colleague, uh, from the airport because I got there a day early. And so he got in the car and he commented on my nail color. I had burnt orange nail polish. And he said, oh, you people love your bright colors. And then he jokes with my other white nail colleague about for 15 minutes, mind wow. you, about how black people love bright colors. Wow. You and know, like, is his name Archie Bunker? Because that's exactly what Archie Bunker would say on the Norman Lear show back in the, what, 70s, yeah. 80s? And Meathead would correct him. <laughs> well, the woman in the back seat did not correct him. He, you know, laughed too. And I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know if I could say anything. And mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, you, how we do sometimes. We just kind of fake laugh and we push forward because that's what 
sometimes we have to do, but we shouldn't have to do that. And bad behavior, he, I went on to work for him for many years, and he would say those things all the time. And wow. I settled into that, El Michelle, and I shouldn't have, and I don't want us to be able to do that. But the most important thing is the reason why I tell that story, and I wrote about it in the book, is that what if that colleague in the backseat would have been an ally, yeah. would have stepped in, would have cut in and said, you know what, we don't do that here or asked me, you know, Minda, sorry that went down that way, blah, blah, blah. Those are the things that we need people to step up right. and experience. Right. You know, and there was another story you told in Twitter um, and it sounded like it took you a little bit of time to even come to the conclusion that you share. And I understand why, but you had an experience in the airport and it spurred a whole conversation about allies. And we talked a little bit about what an accomplice really should be because there are some folks that think, oh, yeah, I'm an ally, but they think that's a passive position. I know better, but it doesn't necessarily mean I need to chime in and do better. So what happened to you? Yeah, I was actually, it was during the holidays, and I was very skeptical about talking about it because I didn't want to put it out there, but I thought it could be a teachable moment. And a very long story short, I was on one of those walkways at the O'Hare Airport, and you right. know, on one side you can stand and right. the people movers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> normally I am the people mover, but I had, you know, I was tired. I was just like, let me just stand here and catch my breath. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I felt this bag baggage rum up behind me. Wow. And I turned around and this guy uh, who happens to be a white male, he was ramming his luggage behind me. And then he says, move out of the way. And he continued to do that. And then once I told him that, you know, you can go around me, that's what that area mm-hmm. is for. <laughs> Uh, he got in my face, and um, for those of you who have never met me, I am five feet on a good She's day. She's small, people. <laughs> you know, 120-ish pounds, and, you know, he was much bigger. He had two luggage, and so then he blocked both sides of the walkway. People were behind us, so yeah. nobody could get out. And so he called me names. He called me some racial slurs. Uh, I was actually on the telephone when he did this, and I told myself in that moment that I was not going to move. Yeah. Right. He was like, move out of the way. And he continued to be aggressive even until we got off the walkway. I told the police, uh, I got off the walkway. I turned the corner. I saw about five police officers. I figured I should tell them because he had, you know, assaulted me verbally right. but then with his suitcases. And they told me there's nothing they could do because he didn't physically put his hands on me. Wow. And it was a lot. And I, on Twitter, we were having this really in-depth conversation. Mm-hmm. I said, where are all these so-called allies? I had about 10 people behind me when this was happening, and nobody did anything, intervened, even asked me if I was okay. Wow. And, you know, you just got to ask yourself why. You know, there are a million reasons why people don't get involved when even there's crime going on. They say they just don't want to be a part of that. They don't want to get in the mix. You know, they don't know what's really going on. But this was clear. It was clear. Super clear. Goodness. So do you think this is a heart issue? Why people do what they do? Like like the guy with the luggage just pushing you. Yeah. You know, obviously he's angry at the world, right? And he had every right to be upset for whatever he, but what he didn't have the right to be is to attack me and racial slur me. That's a different thing, yeah. right? I think that it is our responsibility to stick up for people or at least de-escalate the situation. There's no way that I would have been behind a woman and a man doing this to her and right. not done something, said something, try to de-escalate the situation. And so we have all these people who tell us every day, 
we're an ally, we're an ally. They wear the pins, but never put any skin in the game. Don't right. do anything. I mean, there are those who do, right? But I oh, think totally. stand in silence any longer. And that's in the workplace and that's in real life. Right. Cause you know what people like, let's, let's call him bill, <laughs> bill with the luggage. People like bill go to a workplace somewhere. And I'm sure his workplace has not just an EEOC statement, but they probably mm-hmm. have a diversity and inclusion program. Yeah. And Bill, the luggage guy, still thinks the way he thinks. Yeah. And Bill and, would have been fired probably. The things that he said to me, mm-hmm. I told the EEOC or I told the HR, I would imagine he would have been fired. And that, and he went to his job, right, working alongside probably a couple of us. Right. 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 Yeah. story, Minda. What's your background? Where are you from? And tell us about you. Yes, yes. I I, I am more than the walkway. Yes. (laughs) And Twitter. (laughs) Uh, But I grew up in half in Southern California outside of Los Angeles and the other half uh, as a teenager in Illinois outside of Chicago. And so um, once I got out of college, a master's degree, undergrad, communications, business, and I worked as a fundraising consultant, and I would live in different cities um, from Las Vegas to Austin, Texas, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to Raleigh, North Carolina, and I did that for about 15 years before I launched into uh, career development for women of color, and if you would have asked me even five years ago, 10 years ago, what I'd be doing today, I never would have imagined writing a book. I never would have imagined starting my own company uh, but when you find your your voice, I guess it was all, always there, but yeah. I had to activate it. Uh, you realize that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. No, that genie won't go back. <laughs> won't go back. Will not go back. Yes, and I love rap rap music, um, and that was one of the reasons that uh, made the memo really fun to write because I love all things pop culture, and so I was able to put my personality in that book as well. Excellent, excellent. And what is the origin of Yasminda? Yes, so uh, my father's mother is from England, and um, she named her first daughter. My um, biological father is one of 12 kids, and uh, it, it derives from Egypt. Okay. Uh, yes. <laughs> so that's where Yasminda comes from. Wow. From so do you have Egyptian roots? Um, so no, which is, uh, the odd thing, but that's just a, a name that she, uh, chose. And so my mom really thought it was really pretty and, and I still do think it's pretty. Even yeah. though I, I, only I get that. The L in my name stands for Leticia, which is very Hispanic and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not Latina, not one bit, <laughs> not at all. But listen, um, I was teasing. Why don't we start calling you Yasminda? I, I mean, I want to now. Yeah, you can. You know, it's it's funny. Uh, some of my um, college friends they'll call me Yaz, you know, for fun. Uh, but mostly everybody calls me Minda. But I but let me tell you, I signed those checks. Yes, Minda. Okay. <laughs> Give me my coins. Yes, Minda needs her coins. <laughs> Look, you know, our Latino friends they understand this too. I know at least two people that call themselves George. They're over forty years old. And, you know, they've been introduced to me that way. And at some point I'll say, isn't your name Jorge? 
And then they start grinning and they're like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. And then I'm like, shouldn't I call you that? And I want to honor their heritage mm -hmm. and call them their names because I understand what it's like to have your name slided, even if it's just an L, period. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So what are you working on now? Yeah, so thanks for asking. Uh, well, I'm back in the classroom this semester at NYU, and so I, I teach um, a course there called Talent Development, and so I'm working on that, but I'm also... Uh, Did they turn up in droves? Did they turn up in droves this time? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this time, people, we didn't have to um, do any fire alarms to get people to the, the right. Did. Um, but And I'm also pitching two new book pro projects, and so... Um, and I'm hoping that, uh, again, a, a writer's retreat that I'm working on for later Excellent. this year, because I want, as you mentioned before, black women getting book deals is a little harder for yeah. some of, for some of us. And I want to make sure that we have this, the tools and the resources to be able to, to secure our seat at the publishing table. Talk to me about that, because, you know, um, and, and the route I'm taking is the traditional publisher, get the agent get some big house out of New York to represent you or publish your book. A lot of people are self-publishing and no shade to that. You know mm -hmm. what? You can do it fast. You can get it on Amazon. It has credibility, all of that good stuff. But what are the benefits of going through the traditional publishing machine, if you will? Yeah. Um, so because I went through the machine, I'm very happy that I did, but my, I, so I did get an agent and she represented me and um, shout out to Monica Odom. She is one of she's a black woman and one of few uh, agents in the in um, the literary world uh, by a major publisher. But she understood the importance of a book like this, and I think that finding an agent in which is going to back you and push you totally and agree on your behalf and who gets it. Mm -hmm. uh, she pitched the book to four out of five major publishing houses, and four of them said there's no audience for a book like this; it would never sell. I'm not famous, you mm -hmm. know. Um, we don't need this book. There's plenty of, there's lean in, right? That right. <laughs> so uh, the fifth one, Hachette, they said, yes, they had an imprint or they have an imprint called Seal Press. And so they said, you know what? I guess there is a gap for this. We hadn't considered it, right? Uh, again, when you, when you don't have those diverse faces and voices, they will tell you that your content isn't needed because that's not their experience. And right. so I'm happy to have the machine because I think that, a book like this needed that big machine. Right. Because it would have been really hard and it would have fell through the cracks had I self-published it. Um, totally. And so to have that credibility and that's what I want to see more. Like, again, I think that self-publishing, maybe one day I might self-publish. Yeah, you, you know, and people do. And it's yeah. fine. I think um, Valerie I Burton, who's that. a good friend of mine, mm -hmm. she started out, she self-published her first book with the idea that a house would pick it up. Um, later and Random House did and she's done I think 14 books now she's on her 14th one wow. and sometimes she had an agent sometimes she didn't sometimes she went through a house sometimes she didn't and sometimes there's no one formula yeah there's no one formula I've talked to other you know best-selling authors and you work the same I, I felt like at times I was uh, I had the imprint behind me but to be completely honest, I felt like I was selling CDs out the back of the trunk yeah. because you are on the, you know what I mean? Right, right. I mean, sometimes you are the marketing machine. You are the marketing machine. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thankful for what they did uh, bring to the project, but you really are your, your best advocate. And so 
Uh, but there are these rules of engagement, right? Yeah. And now going back to the publisher for a second book, it makes it a little bit easier having that right. credibility. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is some value to going the traditional route. And I'll say this to your, I just received an email not too long ago from my publisher saying that 2019 was one of the best years for publishing. Uh, so Wow, that's new. That, yeah, that that's new, that that was something skyrocketed with books. So let me tell you, the publish, publishing is not dead. <laughs> that's good. And you know, a little secret I was told, um, you know, even if you don't have the blue check mark, because some people think, okay, I don't want to go this route. I don't have a blue check mark. I don't have millions and millions of followers. If you're a talented speaker, if you're a PR person, if you know communications, if you know marketing, you have a leg up from other just plain writers. And there's some really great writers that don't have a mind for marketing or don't have the ability to have a platform all their own. And yeah. Can you speak to that? Oh, absolutely. I, I decided that I was going to pick one platform, mm-hmm. or one and a half that I would really try to shine right uh, on. And Twitter was that place uh, yeah. because I didn't have the blue check mark. I didn't have a lot of followers. Even when I got signed for my book deal, I think I had maybe 2000 followers. Mm-hmm. At the time, right. You know, and, <clears throat> and so not that that's little or a lot, but I just wasn't on the blurb like some other people, right? But and they were engaged. That's the difference. Yeah. So that's the difference. So now, you know, you look at my follower, I have an engaging conversation. And that's what I did. I said, you know what? I don't have the money to hire an external PR person. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to be myself and engage. And yeah. And be consistent. And be consistent. And you do that on LinkedIn. Find mm-hmm. that platform <laughs> that you can rock on and the as they say if you build it they will come yes (laughs) but you got to stick with it I think a lot of people get discouraged when they think okay I've done this I've put something out there the vanity metrics don't look great okay I'll quit no do not quit keep doing it (laughs) because you got to be known for that one thing no and let me tell you when all of the press and I've had some really great press on this um on this book it wasn't because my publisher pitched to them. Right. It was strictly off of the engagement. People who saw that this book is coming yes. out and they reached out and said, Hey, I work at time, you know, or I work here and right. we want to put you on. And so you never know who's watching, you who's engaging. You just never know. Absolutely. And you got to stay top of mind. Yeah. Minda, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Where can we find you online? You're on Twitter and Instagram. Yes. Um, go to MindaHearts.com. All of my information is there and you can find me on the internet streets. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. And best wishes to you moving forward. And if there's ever any way that I can support you, you just let me know. You already are. So thank you. All right. Thanks, Minda. What an awesome conversation with the author of the memo, Minda Hearts. Thanks again, Minda, for coming on. Look, we did a call to action on all the platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you want an autographed copy of the memo, there's only one. All you got to do is reshare that post. Tag the Culture Soup Podcast wherever the Culture Soup Podcast is on Instagram and Twitter. On those platforms where it is not, please tag us, hashtag us at the Culture Soup Podcast. Then tell your friends to listen to this broadcast. If you do that, we'll be on the lookout and we will select one person to get this gift. You don't want to miss this book, The Memo. So get to it. 
find us online at theculturesoup.com, on Instagram and Twitter at The Culture Soup, and on Facebook at The Culture Soup Podcast. Until next week. The Culture Soup Podcast is a production of No Size Communication, LLC. The Culture Soup Podcast is a registered trademark of No Silos Communications, LLC.